Have you ever experienced that feeling of uh, disappointment in yourself for uh, making a decision and then as you get to the end of whatever experience you've decided to participate in, going, I really should not have done that. So like that happens with me in ice cream. Ice cream does not actually go very well with my physical body. I'm still asking God to adjust that because uh, I'd like to enjoy it. But I know that I actually start to feel ill after ice cream. And yet every time ice cream is served, I eat it. Like anyone? Ice cream. Not, okay, ice cream might not be the problem, but you get the principle. You get the point. Like that the ability to say no to something that's harmful for you can be quite hard when it seems quite nice and pleasurable, right? Yeah, I'm talking to guys that have experienced this. We're in this series called The Waymaker as we look at this incredible life of Jesus in his humanity. Uh, he was able to overcome some things and lead a way so that even in our humanity we can go, oh, we're not lost where actually there is somebody that can help us and show us the way. We don't have to walk around blindly leading one another and not being able to overcome certain things. I have so appreciated the last uh, five weeks prior to this Sunday where uh, we looked at Jesus in his divinity, that's in his godliness, in, in being God, uh, in the I am statements when he introduced himself. Uh, but last week we kicked off a series in the build-up to Easter called The Waymaker of Jesus in His Humanity because it was only in His humanity that He was able to be victorious on the cross for us. He had to be a Savior that could identify with us for us to be able to find salvation in Him. And so we are looking uh, last week, this week, and, uh, uh, and then the next week and then into Easter just at Jesus in His humanity and how he has, yes, been our Savior, but more than that, he has showed us what it is to live a life of freedom and how we can gain access to and live that life of freedom. And so uh, that's what we're looking at. And last week, Jax uh, kind of kicked us off in this series of The Waymaker and, uh, and was just looking how we are able to overcome temptation uh, because Jesus overcame temptation and was looking at that primary story of Jesus in the desert where he seemed to be having just an ordinary conversation with the devil, you know, as one does. Uh, and the devil tested him and tempted him with a couple of things, and Jesus just calmly overcame him. It's not always this big cosmic war that we think it is. It's just a conversation that was taking place, but Jesus was able to overcome temptation. Uh, and today what we're going to look at is how do we overcome ourselves? How do we overcome our own, in, in spiritual language, the Bible calls it our flesh. How do we overcome our desires, our personal desires? Because we know that uh, what's happened over time, uh, or what's happened because of Adam and Eve's sin, is that we've been broken in our humanity. And so our, de our desires, which were given to us by God, have become disordered as we start to try and make them a little bit more about ourselves and for our own gratification. Uh, and so there is... There are many examples, but there's one that we're going to look at today of how Jesus had to overcome himself. I do want to be clear that Jesus didn't have a disordered desire because he was not, yeah, he was not sinful, but he still was a man that he had a body that, uh, that required certain things. So he would be hungry and need to eat, but he had to overcome any temptation to overeat. Let's not believe that Jesus didn't enjoy certain foods more than other foods, and wasn't inclined to eat more uh, or desire to eat more of a particular food than another food. Uh, but Jesus was able to 
overcome these things within his own self. And so that's what we're going to look at today, the story of Jesus overcoming his self as a way maker so that we too can stand here and overcome the, the disordered desires of our lives that actually lead us away from God and into a life of captivity as opposed to a life of freedom. You with me? Matthew chapter 26 is where we're going to go, and it's the story of Jesus in, in a garden, and he is in deep turmoil. We're going to read that, and it's actually the night before he gets hung on the cross. He gets executed on the cross for us, and there's this moment that plays out, and it's recorded here in the book of Matthew. Then Jesus went off with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And so the scenario that's, that's taking place is Jesus knows that the purpose for which he came to earth is now around the corner. It's coming at him, and it's coming fast. And so he is, within his own physical body, he is feeling sorrow. Within his soul, he is feeling sorrow to the point of death. He is troubled. He is anxious. Any of us felt troubled and anxious and sorrowful at times? Jesus felt that. And so in this moment, he's taken 12 of his mates and he's gone away and he says, I, I need to confront this thing. But then he's taken three of his very close friends and he said, hey guys, listen, I just want to confide in you. I just want to let you know I'm not, I'm not doing so well in my soul. I'm sorrowful. I'm troubled. Will you, will you help me? This is the scenario that's playing out here. It's important for us to understand it. And then Jesus, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is Jesus. The purpose for which he came to earth was to go to the cross so that we may be able to be free. That none of humanity would be lost. That is God's desire. And through his son Jesus, there was the constriction of the womb, the, the formation in, uh, as a baby growing up. And now is his moment. He knows that there is no other way. And yet in his humanity, he's crying out to God, I'm troubled, I'm sorrowful, I'm, ang I'm anxious. Can there be another way? Sometimes we know that there can be no other way to do life. We can know that we can't do it this way, and yet we're still like, God, can we, please? It's nice. It's better. I want to live. I don't want to die. I, because in our humanity, we've been hardwired by God to live forever. That was the purpose. God created us eternal beings to live forever with Him. And then sin came in. And broke that and made our lives on earth. It kind of separated our life on earth from our life eternal with God. And so now there is this thing, but there's this, there's this eternal inside of us by the creative hand of God that wants to fight for life. And yet there's the reality that we will all die while on this side of Jesus coming back to earth. And then live for all eternity. And so Jesus He's saying, I, I know this is the only way, but could there be another way? He's battling with his own flesh. He's battling with his own desire. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for just one hour? He asked Peter. 
Imagine confiding in your friends and telling them that you are anxious and sorrowful and troubled to the point of death. Can you just hold my hand and pray with me? And you come back just one hour later and your mates are asleep. Like, let's put ourselves in that position. This is what is playing out in that moment. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus understood. I know, Peter, I know that your desire is for me. I know that you would choose to stay awake and pray. I know that you would choose to walk the extra mile with me, my friend. I know you would choose to be able to, to, be able to take this burden away from me. I know you would desire all of that, but I also know that in our humanity, you are weak. I am weak. Our flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he comes back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and went away once more and he prayed a third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Come, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. And there's two, two kind of stories that we, we get here. We get the picture of Jesus who's going through his battle of trouble and anxiety and, and sorrow to the point of death. And he's battling this, this fight within him and his flesh. And is he going to overcome his self or isn't he going to? And we know the outcome of that is he's able to get on top of himself. He's able to overcome his own personal desire for another way and submit to the desire and the, and, and, and the will of God, and he dies on the cross. But there's also this battle of Peter. And he says to Peter, listen, you're going to betray me, but watch, keep watch. Come and pray with me so that you won't be tempted. I know your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Just pray with me for one hour. And Peter falls asleep. And then he wakes him up and says, just pray for one hour, and he falls asleep. And he does it a third time, and he's asleep. And we, if we know the story, what happens is uh, Jesus gets arrested and Peter kind of follows at a distance and someone says to Peter, hey, you're with Jesus. And Peter, for fear of his life, starts to say, I don't know the man. And in that moment, Peter realizes, if only I hadn't been asleep. If only I had been awake. If only I had been able to overcome myself. Maybe I wouldn't have gone away against God. I would have been able to stand up for him. And with him. And so we have the story of Jesus and Peter, and the invitation today is for us to be able to take the way of Jesus as our way maker and not the way of Peter in this particular story. The beautiful hand of God is this that even though Peter betrayed Jesus, Jesus reaffirms him, reappoints him, and Peter's able to walk. And so even in those days and those times that we reject Jesus, that we our flesh overcomes us there is still the redeeming, merciful hand of God for us to continue a story with Jesus. But we're going to look at this life of Jesus as we go. And uh, Jack's kicked off the series just looking at how, how the devil tries to get hold of us. We've got to remember that, uh, that there is a very real spiritual battle going on. It would be foolish of us to think that, that there isn't. And the way the devil works is he plants deceitful ideas out there. He just plants them for us to take hold of. He is known as the father of lies. 
And so it's the deceitful ideas and the deceitful lies that, uh, that the enemy keeps putting up there and that plays to our disordered desires. You see, we have desires. All desire is not bad. Desire is a gift from God and a blessing from God, but when it's come under our own selfish hand or when it's come under the hand of uh, our sinful nature, it's become disordered. And the enemy then plays on that. And so it's the deceitful ideas that go with our disordered ideas, uh, our disordered desires. And that finds commonality in a culture that really has just normalized sin. It's just normalized sin. And so we look around and we go, oh, but everyone's doing it. Oh, that's not that bad. Well, that's okay. But we have Jesus who stands alone, who counters that and invites us into that freedom as we go. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgression and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's another name for the devil. The spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And so if you weren't 100% sure where that whole deceitful ideas and disordered desires and, uh, and all of that kind of came from, uh, this is where it comes from. We read here that Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and he says this, you, you used to follow the ways of this world. This, this normalized sinful society used to follow the ways of this world. And you used to gratify the cravings of your flesh, your disordered desires. And you used to follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the devil. And so there's all three of these things that work together. The odds are stacked against us, friends, until we come to Jesus. And then the power of the Holy Spirit is able to work powerfully and wonderfully in our lives. Our flesh is just that basic kind of primal based drive for two things, for self-gratification and for survival. For self-gratification and for survival. And again, these two base primal things from God, are they were gifts in God. God said, this is all of my creation and it's good and it's for you to enjoy. So being able to, 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 be able to enjoy uh, things in life is not a bad thing. But when we turn it in on ourselves for our own, uh, our own pleasure, we start to manipulate that and disorder the way God designed it to be. And so there's this self-gratification. And then for survival, we design to live for all eternity. But again, while we're here on earth, because of disordered desires, we don't lay down our lives for the sake of others. And so we always want to just take it for ourselves. And so I, I'm not going to lay down my life for you. I, I'm not going to do anything that's going to cost me. If it's, you know, it's, if this is the, the way of the world that has just been normalized. Augustine was a, a brilliant theologian and... Uh, so much of our theology, our understanding of God has come from this man of many centuries ago. And he said this, The problem of the human condition isn't that we don't love. The problem is that we love either the wrong things or the right things but in the wrong order. Shakespeare says this, To thine own self be true. It's probably the worst piece of advice anybody could follow. And so let's, let's look at this. The, the problem is not that we 
we don't love. The problem is that we either love the wrong thing or we love things in the wrong order. And, uh, and then being true to our own self. So like, you know, if we go to the shop uh, and then we walk down as we're about to pay and on the one side is, is a bunch of magazines that have, uh, so I'm a guy, so I'll look at like the, the men's health type magazines and you've got these amazing men's physiques on these things that says how to get your summer six-pack abs very easily, you know? You kind of go like, hey, I want that. I want that. And then as I'm walking, I'm looking, I'm, and then I look on the other side, and it's got this beautiful picture of a very lavish food dish. And then it says, like, uh, amazing foods for the summer season. Oh, I want that too. And I want that, and I want that. But the problem is you can't have that and that. And so which to thine own self must I be true? And so to thine own self, let's not be true. To Jesus, let's be true. And we have this love disorder of the wrong order of things. I, I love my work and I love my children. But if I love my work more than I love my children, I have got a disorder. I have unordered, I have I have disordered my loves. You see, I'm the only one that can be dad to my kids. There are other people that can do my work. And so we have this disorder of our loves. I want to live deeply grateful and content with what I have. And I want to practice radical generosity. And I want to buy a new pair of shoes. And I can't have both. Give the shoes away. I want to get up early and I want to soak my mind and my heart in scripture and prayer. And I want to stay up late at night and watch the latest series I'm watching on Netflix. The problem is not that we don't love. The problem is that we love the wrong things. Or we love the right things in the wrong order. And so this flesh has to be overcome as it turmoils within us. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, Paul is giving us an indication of how we can start to overcome that. And we're going to tie this back to Jesus' life and particularly that moment in the garden. And Paul writes this, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh uh, desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. I'm going to take just a little pause here for a moment on the principle of sowing and reaping. Because again, we don't live here in the city in a farming culture. And so this thing of sowing and reaping, we know it by theory, but we don't necessarily know it by practice. And this theory is that actually what you put in the ground, that's what you will reap. I can't put in the ground late nights on Netflix and reap deep, intimate relationship with God. Like those things, two things don't work. And so what we sow, we reap. Platinga says it this way, a philosopher says it this way. He says, if I sow a thought, I reap a deed. If I sow a deed, I reap another deed. If I sow some deeds, I reap a habit. If I sow some habits, I reap a character. If I sow a character, I reap two thoughts. And the new thoughts then pursue careers of their own. What that means, I'll just put it into some simple, uh, simple language for us, is this. That what I do 
becomes more easy to do the next time. And so if I'm able to resist something, the next time it comes around, I'm able to resist it easier. If I'm unable to resist it and I eat ice cream, then the next time ice cream gets served, it's easier for me to eat ice cream rather than to resist it. And so we form these neuropathways just medically, but it's even more than that. It's just it, we feed the desires of our flesh. And so where we sow, we reap. And if we keep moving in that same direction, it becomes easier or harder. We become more enslaved or we become more free. It's really important, friends, that I know that on the, on the front end of making a, a difficult decision, we kind of think, is it always going to be this hard? And the answer is no. It's not always going to be this hard. But it is hard to start. And then it becomes easier. Another way of saying that statement that I've just read is this. Who am I? This is the language that we've been using as a pastoral team. Who am I becoming by the things that I am doing? To take it a little bit more specifically, who am I publicly becoming by the things that I am privately doing? It's a good question for us to answer. And so to come back to Galatians chapter 5, Paul is saying that if we walk by the Spirit, it's contrary to the flesh. And then we pick it up in verse 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so there's two things that we can take out of Paul's teaching here. First is that we have to crucify the flesh. That is not popular opinion right now, not pop culture. Pop culture is, hey, just do what your heart desires. And Paul says we have to crucify our flesh. That is, like, that's harsh language. So crucifixion is not a form of death that we, kinda un we know or experience here. But in, in Paul's day under Roman rule, crucifixion was a very real thing. And it was barbaric and brutal and exposing and you'd be stripped naked, and you'd be beaten, and then you'd be hung up as a public spectacle. It was, like the, it was the worst form of death, crucifixion. And Paul says, hey guys, this is what we have to do with our flesh. We don't manage our flesh. We crucify it. We don't just kill it. We rip it naked. We beat it. We hang it up for public scorn. We, we put, like, we got to crucify our flesh. Again, not language that we like to hear in today's culture because we've normalized. It's okay for you to believe what you believe and me to believe, and it's okay if you, if you just do that, and it's, if you just do this, it's okay, it's okay. That's actually not what the Scriptures say about how we can live this life of freedom that Jesus came to set us free for. And so we are to crucify our flesh, and so we ask ourselves this question, okay, well, how do we... How do we do that? Well, step two is we've got to keep in step with the Spirit of God. And so there's this command to keep in step with the Spirit, and we see it all through this letter in Galatians where Paul is writing, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. For Paul, the way that we fight the flesh and we win is not through willpower, but through the Spirit's power. Too many of us want to fight by willpower. And so every time we're confronted with a decision, it's a decision of the will. 
I'm sure studies have been done, I, I, but I don't have the, the research in front of me. But I don't know how many decisions we would make on a daily basis. And every single one of those decisions, if we have to base it on our willpower, no wonder we are exhausted people. Because it is taking so much from us every time to make a decision. And these decisions have consequences. Every decision has a consequence to lead us towards captivity or to lead us towards freedom. And the enemy's strategy is not that we would worship him. It's just that we'd be distracted from walking with the Spirit of God. And so the enemy just throws so much noise at us and so many, uh, so many series that kind of appeal to our disordered desires that we late nights and so many, like there's just so much that comes at us so that we just kind of go into autopilot. So when it comes time to make a decision in the day, I'm like, uh, okay. I just don't have the willpower to make the decision. And Paul says, no, that's why we have to crucify it and why we have to walk by the Spirit of God. And so then the question is asked, how do we access this power of the Spirit of God? How do we access this power? And dare I say, it is easier than we think. It's through the disciplines and the practices that Jesus did as a human that we are invited to follow. He hasn't made it a secret. It's easier than we think. And every hard step and hard decision that we make, it becomes easier to walk in that way. And so it's the practices that Jesus did that help us in our understanding. And there were two things that Jesus did. There were many things that Jesus did, but two that I want to highlight for us today that help us walk in the power of the Spirit of God. And they're two things that, again, culture today does not particularly like and is not part of our normal practice. And yet, we have something that's very powerful on a Wednesday night, which is just symbolic of much deeper stuff on anthem, in anthem recovery, uh, which we're going to get to. But uh, again, that's just one meeting, but it, it represents a culture of taking hold of this. And the first is this fasting. The first is fasting. Fasting is not something that we like. But we need to remember this. Jesus grew up in a Jewish culture. And the Jewish culture was to, the practice was to fast two days a week. And there's silence. Two days a week, Jesus fasted habitually. And then there were other times that he was led into the desert and fasted for 40 days. I think that was a, a specific spirit-led moment, and so I'm not proposing here that we go and fast for 40 days. But there was this culture, there was this way, there was this practice of Jesus on a weekly basis to deny his flesh. I'm hungry, well, overcome it. I'm hungry, overcome it. I'm hungry, overcome it. And so when he's in the desert, when he's in the garden, and he's praying, God, I'm overcome with sorrow, my desire, everything within me wants to fight for my life and run away from my betrayer, he has 30 years of twice a week, I've denied my flesh, I've denied my flesh, I've denied my flesh. And so he's able to say, I don't want to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. And so today the invitation is to enter into the practice and the rhythm of Jesus. 
We never know when that big moment comes. And so many of us in that big moment think that we're going to have the willpower to overcome. But actually it was the discipline and the life of the Spirit of God in him and the denying of the flesh that allowed him in that big moment to make a decision which led to the freedom for all humanity. And so fasting is a practice that up until, up until the enlightenment, like just not so long ago, it was, it was the practice of Christianity. But again, in our Western culture, this, this thing of fasting and denying our flesh, that is so old school. And yet we wonder why there are more people in captivity today living disordered lives than we've ever seen in the history of humanity. And so the invitation for Jesus today is can we bring fasting back into our world where we deny our flesh? And just doing it one day a week or one day a month is what we're asking us as a corporate to do as Anthem on the first Monday of every month, fast, and then come together and pray with us. And then it becomes easier and becomes easier. And then maybe once a month becomes once a week. And maybe once a week becomes once every two weeks. The goal is not that we would fast every day. The goal is just that our bodies are subject to the Spirit of God. That we are not subject to our bodies. You with me? Jesus overcomes his flesh because he was well practiced in denying his flesh. The second thing and the last thing which I'm going to wrap up with and then John's going to come and lead us in communion is, is this practice of confession. And so again, we've, what we've lived in in the Western world is uh, there, there is a particular, a particular line of church that has, has, has abused what this confession looks like. And they've made it that, the, that there's only one way to Jesus, and it's through the pastor or through the priest. And that's not what the teachings was. And so because there was a bit of, uh, because there's been um, misuse of it or abuse of it, uh, people say, well, we're just going to step right back. No, the response to abuse or misuse is not to not use it at all, but to correct the use. And so confession, James teaches us in, verse five, in chapter 5, verse 16, is make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. And so if I stood up here and read the last part of that verse to you up front, and I just said, hey, there's an opportunity for us to live together whole and healed. Who wants in? Yeah? Who wants in? We'd say yes. And I'd say, okay, to get that, it's very simple. Confess our sins to one another. Oh, uh, I'm not so sure. So we make very complicated what Jesus has made the way for in fasting and confession. Jesus modeled it even in this garden. He took three of his friends and he said, hey, guys, I'm overcome. My heart is troubled. I'm struggling in this moment. I'm struggling. Right here in my humanity, I'm struggling. I need your help. Jesus modeled it. And so the invitation, again, for Jesus is we can have a free life. We can have freedom. We can have this life that overcomes. We can have this life of union with God in the power of the Spirit of God. How? By living the practices of Jesus as he taught us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a well-known theologian, said this, Sin demands to have a man by himself. 
it withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. Jesus has made a way for us to remove the poison, to remove the sting, to live this life of freedom. And it's in this relationship called the church and in smaller relationships. The expectation is not that you stand up on stage here and confess your sins to this whole group. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But do you have some friends that can help you walk in that journey, that can stand with you and pray for an hour, that can hold your hand in that moment? Can you be that friend for someone else? Because in that, sin is able to come out of darkness and into light, and the power is broken, and freedom starts to rush in towards us. So two action steps, and then I'm done. Two action steps, just to be able to take out of this overcoming, overcoming ourselves, friends. Number one, would you join us as a collective community called Anthem as we fast on the first Monday of every month, and then come together in prayer? Come together on that first Monday. Let's as a community take that step. And if it's your first step, it will be hard, I know. But we're going to hold your hand and we're going to get you through it. And then the next time it will be easier and the next time it will be easier. And then it becomes the way of life. And the second thing is this. Will you find trusted friends and tell them something you're battling with? Trust them to stand with you. Not to expose you so that there can be healing and wholeness, as James teaches us. Confess your sins one to another, so that we may live together in healing and wholeness. The invitation is from Jesus. It's for us to take. It's not, it's not hard to understand. It can be hard to take that step, but it's not hard to understand. And it does get easier and easier as we sow. As we sow the first thought, we reap a deed. As we sow a deed, we reap more deeds. As we, reap, as we sow more deeds, we reap an action. The action becomes behavior, becomes character, becomes a testimony, becomes victory and freedom.